Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Leviticus, chapter 10. Leviticus chapter 10. And we'll read just the 19 verses, the whole of this chapter. It says, And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer, and put fire therein, and put incense thereon, and offered strange fire before the Lord, which He commanded them not. That's the key to this verse. Which He commanded them not. Anything that God has not commanded, or taught, or endorsed in His Word, is strange fire in religious things. And there went out fire from the Lord, and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said unto Aaron, This is it that the Lord spake, saying, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh me, and before all the people I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. And Moses called Mishael and Elzaphon, the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said unto them, Come near, carry your brethren from before, the sanctuary out of the camp. So they went near and carried them in their coats. By the way, notice that their coats didn't even burn, but they were smitten with the fire from God, the wrath from God. Out of their coats out of the camp, and as Moses had said. And Moses said unto Aaron and to Eliezer and unto Ithmar. Now Eliezer and Ithmar are two more sons of Aaron that are priests. Nadab and Bahu were two priests, and Eliezer and Ithmar, his sons. Uncover, uncover not your heads, neither rend your clothes, lest ye die, and lest the wrath come upon all the people. But let your brethren, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning which the Lord hath kindled. And you shall not go out from the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, lest ye die. For the anointing all of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of uh, Moses. And the Lord spake unto Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine, nor strong drink, thou nor thy sons with thee, when you go into the tabernacle of the congregation, lest ye die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations, and that ye may put di- a difference, and that ye may put difference between holy and unholy, and between unclean and clean. And that ye may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord hath spoken unto them by the hand of Moses. And Moses spake unto Aaron and unto Eliezer and Ithmar, his sons, that were left. Take the meat offering that remaineth of the offerings of the Lord made by fire, and eat it without leaven beside the altar, for it is most holy. And ye shall eat it in the holy place, because it is thy due, and thy sons due, of the sacrifices of the Lord made by fire. For so I am commanded. <coughs> and the wave breast and the heave shoulder shall ye eat in a clean place, thou and thy sons and thy daughters with thee, for they be thy due, and thy sons due, which are given out of the sacrifices of peace offerings of the children of Israel. The heave shoulder and the wave breast shall they bring with the offerings made by fire of the fat to wave it for a wave offering before the Lord. And it shall be thine and thy sons with thee by statute forever as the Lord hath commanded. 
Notice these are things God had commanded. And Moses diligently sought the goat of the sin offering, and behold, it was burnt. And he was angry with Eliezer and Ithmar, the sons of Aaron, which were left alive, saying, Wherefore have you not eaten the sin offering in the holy place? Now here's the neglect. Uh, Seeing it is most holy, and God hath given it to you to bear the iniquity of the congregation to make atonement for them before the Lord. Behold, the blood of it was not brought in within the holy place. You should indeed have eaten it in the holy place as I commanded. Now then, in verse 19, Aaron makes an excuse that uh, uh, Moses somewhat accepts as a reason for not doing this particular thing. So it says in verse 19, And Aaron said unto Moses, Behold, this day have, I, have they offered their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord, and such things have befallen me. And now he's speaking, he doesn't tell what it is. And if I had eaten of the sin offering today, should it have been accepted in the sight of the Lord? In other words, if something happened to him that forbade him to do this, he says, would God have accepted it? And he uses this as kind of an excuse. And when Moses heard that, he was content. So he more or less put up with this at that point in time. Now then, we studied the, we read the 10th chapter, and there's a lot of things we need to talk about, especially the strange fire of Nadab and Abihu. Now then, the page of human history has been a sad and blotted one. Uh, It is a record of failure from the first to the last. This was true in a perfect Eden. Adam and Eve, innocence and all the paradise blessings, they proved to be a failure. And then this was true in the renewed earth after the flood. After Noah was saved after the flood, well, what happened to him? He went out and planted a vineyard and got dead drunk. And a lot of terrible things happened as a result. There's no good that comes out of drunkenness. And uh, this was true in the land of Canaan. When they got in the land of Canaan later on. And this was true in the New Testament church. No sooner had it been established than grievous wolves had entered in. And Paul warns them about grievous wolves entering in, not sparing the flock. And uh, this will also be true in the millennial kingdom. By the way, sometimes we think of the millennium, even though Christ rules and reigns, there's still man there. And where there's man, there's sin. And even though we have a perfect environment during that thousand year reign, You remember that the devil tries to deceive after the thousand year reign and he tries to deceive people and the nations and all that that he can. And of course, then God finally puts an end to that. So that man has uh, failed from the first to the last and all this is recorded in the Scriptures. And thus man has spoiled everything. If placed in a position of the highest dignity, he will degrade himself. You know, we speak of evolution. We might rather say devolution, hadn't we? Because men are getting worse and worse instead of better and better. 
In fact, Jesus said that the, uh, Paul says they will wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And if you look at the, our world today, I mean, you can you can see it on every hand. You don't have to go very far. And then, if endowed with the best privileges, he will abuse those privileges. God has given us many blessings, many privileges. He's given us uh, the uh, highest dignity that we could have. And we've degraded ourselves and we've abused privileges. And then if blessed with the richest blessings, He will prove to be ungrateful. Why is it that the more blessings we receive, sometimes people become more ungrateful? Did you know ingratitude is a great sin? Not being grateful. If you read in Romans chapter 1, it says, Neither were they thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became as fools. And in Romans chapter 1, it shows you the degradation of man, and how that God left them not without a witness. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. That's Psalm chapter 19. I believe beginning with verse 1. And then you find uh, that Paul refers to it basically in Romans chapter 1 when he says that the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things which, is, which are made. It says, even His eternal power and Godhead. Can any man look upon this world, this creation, and the stars and the moon and the sun and the and the planets and as far as man's eye can see or has been able to uh, scientifically prove that he can see beyond his natural sight and not marvel at what God has made. And then it says, neither were thankful. They were not thankful. And so, that, therefore, God says, therefore, they are without excuse. Someone says, well, what makes people without excuse? A lot of things. First of all, there's a conscience in man. There's a conviction of God's Holy Spirit. There is His creation that speaks day in the day, utter speech, and night in the night. You read that in Psalm 19 if you have it open. Uttereth knowledge. And it says there's no land, there's no place where their voice is not heard. It speaks of creation as having a voice. And there's no place on earth where it's not heard. So the heathen have no excuse before God. We have no excuse. If we had never heard the gospel, we'd have no excuse before God. Isn't that an amazing thing? And the more enlightened we are, the more responsible we are. The greater man's enlightenment, the greater man's blessings, the closer God comes to man, the greater is his responsibility. Turn to the book of Amos. I, I just thought of a scripture that maybe... Look at Amos. I'll, I'll try to give you something here. I'll have to... I think it's the third chapter. Let me... I'll see when I get there. The book of Amos, chapter 3. It is the third chapter. Amos chapter 3. Look at verse 1. It says, Hear this word. 
that the Lord has spoken against you, O children of Israel, against the whole family, look, which I brought up from the land of Egypt, so He delivered them from Egypt, saying, now look, here's the extent of their blessing. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Now what does He say? Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Because you have known, you've been privileged. The more privileged they were, the more they deserved the punishment for their straying away and getting away from God. You see, once we're so privileged as children of God today, as Christians, for us to turn against our privileges and our blessings and God's favor toward us increases the degree of punishment that we should receive when we, when we stray away. Because we know better. Because we've been blessed. See, blessings can be great, but uh, blessings refused and turned against and privileges turned against can invite the chastening hand of God. That's why you find sometimes a Christian person that maybe has been blessed in life and then all of a sudden they get back in the world, they start living for the devil, and they get away from God. My, all the bad things that happen. And it will happen. It happened to David, didn't it? When David backslid, and it really, Nathan told him, he says, David, the sword will never depart from your house. And it never did. He says, God has forgiven your sin. But he says, you're still going to have to pay in this life for what, you, what, what you've done. And this old law of harvest still stands for everyone today. It says, that whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. So we better be careful what we sow. We can reap good things, we can reap a good harvest, or we can reap a bad harvest. But whatever seed you sow is going to come up. And God has guaranteed it that there will be a harvest someday. Now then, well, I just wanted to give you that, by the way, to show you an illustration of that. Let's get back to our comments on the 10th chapter of, of uh, the book of Leviticus. So, um, man also, not only position of highest dignity, he will degrade himself. And if endowed with the best privileges, he will abuse them. And bless the richest blessings, he will prove ungrateful. And if placed in the midst of the most impressive institution, he will corrupt them. That's why you find some institutions today that uh, God may have had a part in in the establishment. We know seminaries. We know different uh, places that God has blessed of various things. And when they turn away from God, what happens? They go downhill. Sometimes they end up closing the doors. Sometimes they end up uh, with nothing. And so, we have... By the way, churches do that too. 
And this church has a great responsibility of sticking to the Word of God and of maintaining fellowship and unity with one another because the Bible says uh, that, <coughs> that God would have us to keep the unity of the faith, endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's in Ephesians chapter 4, I believe it's about verse 2 or 3, or 4 maybe. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And that's what we're to do. You can look at the verse, but it's in the fourth of Ephesians, I believe. Now then, uh, what I want you to see here is that so we're not surprised when we come to this tenth chapter of Leviticus and we see that this happens with Nadab and Abihu. Because here's two priests, ordained priests, clothed with the priestly garments, blessed with God, anointed to be priests, Aaron's sons, and they say, well, you know, it doesn't make any difference of what God said. We'll just do it our own way. That's what they were saying. That's as much as what they were saying. They were saying, we can get by with it. We'll just, we, we've got our censer and we've, we're, we're priests and they had their incense and they just offered strange fire unto the Lord. We'll get into more of that as we talk about it. Chapter 9 closed with everything being done as, as the Lord commanded. Chapter 9 was a completion of following and doing all that God commanded. And if you notice the end of chapter 9, in verse 23 it says, And the glory of the Lord appeared unto all the people. And down the last part of verse 24 it says, Which when all the people saw, they shouted and fell on their faces. God accepted the offering. The whole burnt offering. They were just happy as could be. Then chapter 10, verse 1 starts out with this story of Nadab and Abihu. Hardly had the shout of victory died until sinful worship began. And by the way, this was sinful worship. These men just entered their priestly office when they deliberately disobeyed the commandment of the Lord. They had just started. And notice their privileges. They had been redeemed out of Egypt under the blood. They had been called to the priestly family appointed by God. I mean, they were in a unique situation, were they not? Redeemed from bondage, priestly sons of Aaron, called to and appointed by God to fill this office. They were dressed in the right priestly garments. They had a godly father. They had spirit, a spiritual heritage. They were familiar with holy things from their birth. I mean, they were raised upright. They knew. They had been stripped and bathed and clothed and anointed and consecrated in chapters 8 and 9. We studied the consecration of the priests and their garments and stuff, remember, in our last couple of lessons. All this was done for them. And then what do they do? They offer strange fire unto the Lord. Their sin was that they offered strange fire before the Lord. They thought it not necessary to obey God's plan. You know, there's a lot of people today. We have instruction in the New Testament of how a church should be. It should be a place of worship. It should be Jesus said it ought to be a house of prayer, didn't He? 
And uh, we, we, we're told we ought to assemble together. We're told to pray for one another. We're told to be taught the Word of God. We're told that they're to be pastors and teachers. And we're to, to listen to the uh, taught Word of God, the preached Word of God. We're to use it for ourselves as well, because the Bible teaches that every one of us should study to show ourselves approved. And we all ought to contend. Uh, Jude says that we should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. So we have it li- lined out before us what we have as responsibilities. And it's up to us to do it. But they thought it not necessary to obey God's plan. And many people today feel it's not necessary. We'll just, they'll say, we'll just run the church just like we want to because after all, you have to kind of... Uh, go along with the flow and you have to invite uh, these different ideas and have a new idea about how it ought to be run. The Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. And it's not new to see man trying to uh, circumvent the things of God. It's not new, is it? You can go back in the Old Testament and read... Uh, I, I love to preach on that sermon of Jeroboam and Rehoboam uh, when the kingdom was divided. And remember, Jeroboam set up a, a man-made worship. He said, it's too hard for... He says, this is what I'll do. To, and he was playing politics. He says, I don't want to turn the people against me. And I'll just tell them it's too hard for them to go up to Jerusalem to worship. I'll set up a, a, a place of worship in in the northern part of the kingdom, and one in Bethel and one in Dan. Northern and the southern part of the kingdom. And he says they can go there and worship. And furthermore, he set up a golden calf for them to worship. Not only was it the wrong place, but it was the wrong thing. It was idolatrous. And he tried to make it. And then he said, you know, (laughs) I'm going to tell them that, that this is the day that uh, God is set aside for them. God is appointed. There was no appointed time, the, the time that He chose for worship and for sacrifices. It was man-made completely throughout. And you know, there's a lot of people that have man-made religions today. You think, well, you know, it's alright because after all, they got good crowds coming. Well, that's one thing, but doing God's will and preaching God's Word is another thing. You can have all kinds of things going. So they, they, they thought it was not necessary to obey God's plan. They waved common fire, common, in direct disobedience to God's speci- specified command. These men were so proud of the honor God had bestowed upon them that they became overly ambitious and got out of God's will. How many times have you seen that in the ministry today? Some fellow get overly ambitious. It's alright to be ambitious, but it has to have the guidelines of God's Word. Amen. You know, the Bible says, Paul tells uh, Timothy, he says, if a man does not strive lawfully, he shall not be crowned. What is it to strive lawfully? That means according to God's Word. That's the way you have to do it. They thought one kind of fire was just as good as another. In other words, we'll just hype it up and it'll be alright. 
They should have acted on the Word of God, but instead they decided to have their own way. And any offering, listen, any offering that's not according to the Word of God is an offering of strange fire. How many, what do you see today in our world of, of Christendom? How much, how much do you see that God didn't say a thing in the world about doing? As far as the New Testament church is concerned. What's it supposed to do? It's supposed to send out missionaries. It's supposed to preach the Word. It's supposed to assemble together on Lord's Day for worship. All the things that God, that the Lord has commanded we're supposed to follow. But look at all the stuff that goes on that uh, God has not commanded. Anything. The result of such sin is uh, that they perish at the hand of the, of the one that they profess to serve. James says, be not many masters. Because he says, the greater shall see, they, that you shall see a greater damnation. Judgment. Many masters. It's a, you heard Brother Bill preach on it when we had our fellowship meeting. It's a great responsibility to be a teacher and preacher of God's Word. It carries with it eternal results. As Bill said in his lesson, you have to be responsible for your membership of the church and what they're taught and teach them the Word of God. And then once you... Paul says, I'm clear of the blood of all men because I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. The only way that I can be free from, from that responsibility is to declare the whole counsel of God. Is that true? Look in the book of Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. I'll show you what it says here. <clears throat> in verse 26, Paul says, Wherefore I take you to record this day, Paul says, I'm putting it on record, that I am pure from the blood of all men, of all you, of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. Then he says, For I know that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. He says, I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. He says, Yea, you yourselves know that these hands have ministered to my necessities. Paul wasn't ashamed to work with his hands. He did many times when it was necessary. And to them that were with me, he says, I have showed you all things how that 
so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how He said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when He had thus spoken, He kneeled down and prayed with them all. And they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. Verse 24, drop back up. He says, But none of these things move me, neither I count I my life dear to myself, so that I might finish my course with joy, and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And so, we find that it's a great responsibility. Now, let's get back to our comments on the book of Leviticus here. <clears throat> And they perished by the fire which they rejected. See, they, they had the fire that they were supposed to use to offer the offering, but they perished by that fire that they had rejected. These two men were the same ones that were with Moses and the 70 elders that went into the mountains to talk with God. Moses at the burning bush. We see what he did. We find that there's a lot of failures on the part of men, and yet there's a lot of communication between God and men. These men were with Moses. And Moses, remember at the burning bush, received his orders of what he was to do. And God sent him. Isaiah was in the temple. Remember it says in Isaiah chapter 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, he says, I saw also the Lord high and lifted up in His train filled His temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. With twain he covered his feet. With twain he did fly. And then anyway, when you get on down, uh, it says, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. The whole earth was moved at uh, the presence of God. And then Isaiah says, Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So, Isaiah had his day. Paul, in the desert of Arabia, remember says he's caught up to the third heaven and saw things that were unlawful for a man to utter. By the way, the word unlawful there mean that he doesn't mean he was not permitted to say it, but it meant that he couldn't put it into, into human words and tongue for the people to understand the glory and the instructions that he got in heaven. And by the way, Paul says, I knew a man about 14 years ago. Now, he was making his defense to the Corinthians when they were reluctant to accept his apostleship. And he said, I'm going to speak foolishly and I'll recall some things that I had experiences of. <coughs> Can you imagine having such an experience that he tells about keeping it quiet for 14 years? Who was it that said, asked the question, that if three men were to keep a secret, someone said, yes, they can, if two of them's dead. <laughs> but Paul didn't say anything for 14 years. And he wouldn't have said anything then. I'm glad that maybe they put him on 
a notice on account of we do have his words as to what he experienced by being caught up to the third heaven. He says, I knew a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. Of such a one I will glory. But in myself, he didn't consider him to be the special person, though he was the one he was talking about. But anyway, that's a whole other story. But here is a rebuke in this passage in Leviticus 10, is a rebuke to recklessness in the ministry. These men were reckless in the ministry. A heathen impulse in the sight of God is just as sinful as drunkenness. Heathen impulse to follow it instead of doing what God tells you to do. Presumption. People presume that it'll be all right. In in the in Christianity or Christendom, let's put it that way, not Christianity because it's a little more defined word, but in Christendom, which takes in the whole realm of professed Christendom. In Christendom Presumption is a great thing. Many people presume that everything will be alright. They just think, well, you know, it's okay. Other churches do this and they get by with it. And I'll go a step beyond them and I'll do a little more. They'll have a circus or pony rides in the parking lot and clowns out there and all kinds of stuff that God never had anything to do with. I mean, that, that doesn't, that's not what a church is about. They say, well, it gets the crowds. Well, so what? You can get the crowds many ways uh, into buildings, into places, all kinds of promotions. Strange fire is not acceptable to God. We never are to use fleshly or carnal means to stimulate praise of service for God. If we use carnal means, it's strange fire. Fleshly means are strange fire. People use everything. God requires us to declare the whole counsel of God. And if we lose every member in the congregation, that's going to be that way. Social events to draw crowds are strange fire. Did you know that? Social events in the house of God to draw crowds in the house of God, that's using fleshly means. That's using carnal means. Some people say, it doesn't make any difference how you get them out as long as you get them out. To God, it makes a difference. I'd rather have you folks that are here on Wednesday night and have a lot of empty pews than to have a bunch of people that's drawn out for some promotion that I'm trying to put on and the church endorses. You say, preacher, well, we could have more people. Well, okay, if that's the way you want to get them. But it's not okay with God. It's not all right with God. And God, God sent fire to devour them. Our God is a consuming fire, the Bible says. They died for a contempt to Moses and they died for a contempt to God. And God sent the wrath. The wrath of God was kindled against them. And this indicates that we as preachers and even all believers are not to offer strange fire. We should be careful what we offer. God had not kindled that fire. And by the way, any fire that God has not kindled, uh, that any fire that God has kindled is kept burning miraculously. He's the one that keeps it burning. And remember, there was to be fire that was to be constantly burning. That's what it was to happen. God's fire is mingled with blood. 
And so much of our fire is not mingled with blood, and all of it is strange fire before the Lord. Fire, fire that is worked up is strange fire before the Lord. People, there, there are revival meetings that they say, well, let's just work up the Spirit. What? I thought God sends down the Spirit. Amen. And I thought God fills us with the Spirit. Instead of less working it up. You see, the flesh works up, but the Holy Spirit comes down and fills the heart. That's the flesh. Have you ever heard people say, you know, I sure got a thrill. Thrills are for the flesh. That's what the flesh is about. What else did you get when you went to the house of God? Did you, were you promoted to live a holy life? It was God's Word preached? Did you accept the truth of God and rejoice in, in the fellowship with the brethren? Is that what you did? Well, praise the Lord. That's what you ought to do. But you don't work up that kind of a thing. Verse 3, you see comfort to Aaron from the Word of God. Verse four and five: God's fire consumed the men that did not burn their, and it did not burn their coats. Remember, I pointed out that they carried them in their coats out of the camp. Verse six: If you grieve at God's judgment, you will endanger your lives. When God judges, we're not to grieve about it. One man may cause God's wrath to fall upon many men. Verse seven. The supreme business of God's children is to do His service regardless of the cost. Verse 8 and 9. Wine disqualifies for the service of God. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2 and 3 says, A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient. Not a brawler, not covetous. And there are many more things. But a bishop or an elder or a leader, a pastor, put it this way, a pastor. Given to wine. The Bible says, wine is a mocker and strong drink is raging. Whosoever is deceived thereby is what? Not wise. Not wise. I was out to cemetery yesterday putting some flowers for my wife and Darlene and around. And anyway, a man and a lady, I could call their names, but I won't do that because it might not be proper. Friends are good people putting flowers on their daughter's grave. They lost her about four, five, six months ago. And I got talking to them. They said it was alcohol that took her life. A young lady. Some of you would know her if I would called her name. But anyway, I won't do that. But the thing about it is, that's what they said. So we find that there's a lot of things that happen. And God uh, shows us that uh, the supreme business of God's ch children is to do His will and do His service regardless of the cost. Verse 8 and 9, we said wine 
disqualifies for the service of God. And we said there are many other things that disqualifies. There are a lot of things that disqualifies us from the service of God. We'll hurry along. We're just about through with this chapter. Uh, keep your, the Bible says, keep yourself pure. Make, make your word good. This ought to be some things that we get credit for. And keep your credit good. We used to have a, a when uh, they were teaching us pastoral theology in seminary. The professor taught us if you can't pay up, show up. Find out. In other words, if I owe something, if I owe you something and I promise to pay it in a certain time, if I can't do it, you know, a lot of times we make promises we can't keep. And uh, if I can't do it, I need to show up and tell you why. If some terrible thing happened that I cannot meet my responsibilities, I can at least meet with a word and let you know why. I mean, no one could, no one knows all the things that he can or cannot do. Verse 10, when God draws the lines, He says, make a difference. And that ye may put difference between holy and unholy and between unclean and clean. And when God draws a line, we better observe that line. And by the way, there's a line between works and grace too as far as uh, our doctrines of faith are concerned. And we ought to be very distinct about preaching the Word of God and, and works and grace. You know what it, what it should be? It should be just as distinct as Paul made it in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8-10. through 10. He says, For by grace are you saved through faith. He says, And that not of yourselves is a gift of God. And he says, Not of works lest any man should boast. But then he said in verse 10, For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. But he says, you're saved by grace, but because you're saved by grace, you ought to walk in good works. I mean, that's distinctive, isn't it? Uh, Paul said in the book of Titus, he says, uh, I believe it's chapter 3, verse 5 probably. He says, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. I may have that verse right. You can check it out. So it's not by works of righteousness which we have done. So we're told uh, time and time again. Let me give you one in Timothy. I believe it's 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9. It says, Who has saved us... Now look. Who hath, Paul says to Timothy, who hath saved us, talking about Christ, hath saved us, and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. <clears throat> so we need to make a distinction. And then back in uh, Leviticus chapter 10, in verse 11, we're talking about the affliction that comes. And that they, you may teach the children of Israel all the statutes. 
based upon what has happened and what God expects between works, between holy and unholy, between unclean and clean, he says, And that ye may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord has spoken unto them by the hand of Moses. This shows us that sometimes it takes the affliction that comes as a result of what happened here to cause the children of God to serve Him. Sometimes it takes those things to cause us to wake up. I remember one time, we had a lady in the church that she proved to be real faithful. Many years until she passed away, by the way. And I won't call up that name either. But you know what it took? Her little granddaughter's death at an early age. I think the granddaughter was about two or three years old. I forget the exact age. That's what it took. Sometimes God wants to get our attention. And we don't know what will get the attention of one or the other or some individual. We hope it doesn't come to that drastic step to cause men to think about their need. But sometimes it does. And she proved to be faithful in this church for many, many years until she passed away. Sometimes it takes these things. In Psalm 119, let me give you some references. The 119th Psalm, I want you to look at three different verses. Look at verse 67. Psalm 119, look at verse 67. It says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now have I kept thy word. What? Now look at verse uh, 71. It is good for me that I have been afflicted that I might learn thy statutes. Have you ever seen a person when he's afflicted to say, God, this is good for me? No. (laughs) But he says there's a purpose for it that I might learn thy statutes. 